Welcome everyone to Just Crypto. My name is Vanessa. We've got another tremendous show for you today. I was asked by a number of people on X to take another look at ICP. That There's supposed to be a lot of great tech, a lot of great development there. And I'm like, okay, let me reevaluate my previous unfavorable opinion and have a conversation with an expert for this. Uh, so I'm very happy to have uh, Carl Langham, who's the Director of Data and, and Analytics at Definity here to help talk through ICP. Uh, we'll dive into the use cases. We'll dive into more details about the product and what the team is working on. Uh, Kyle, welcome to the show. Hey, Vanessa. Thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate your willingness to to kind of reevaluate um, your your first impressions. So thanks. Yeah. I appreciate the conversation. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Very, very, very open uh, to, to learning new things. Uh, you know, we do have uh, you know, one thing we love to do on the show is if you are following along live, uh, we will take questions as we go. But if you're here, just drop a hi in the comments, uh, either reply on X or on uh, YouTube. Uh, let us know who's following along. It's always great to know like who's in the crowd as, as we're talking and to give you a chance to ask, you know, directly from Carl, if you do have any questions, uh, you know, a couple of folks who've popped in already. Uh, Visk is here. Uh, you know, it's here for Carl, so you've got a fan base already. <laughs> it's great to see. Um, and we've got the the Realist MC85. Hello, and welcome to the show. And I'm sure more folks will pop in as, as we go along. Uh, but to get started, Carl, uh, why don't you share a little bit about your journey into crypto and why we're even having this conversation? Like, how did you get into the crypto world? <laughs> I, I took the standard uh, crypto uh, approach, which is I started in um, vaccines. Uh, I was actually so. Um, <laughs> that's what I have not heard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, you know what's interesting? That's a great question because, I mean, everyone ends up in crypto in their own kind of path, right? Um, which is, I think, something awesome about Web3. Um, so in 2020, so oh, I guess I've always been interested in Bitcoin, um, was real big uh, in like 2018, 2019. In 2020, I was working for a small vaccine company called Novavax. Uh, they had a COVID vaccine. Maybe you heard of them, but there was this real small 200-person company that exploded because we had a strong candidate. Um, and we ended up getting $1.6 billion from the US government. I was in the IT department handling data and analytics. And uh, one of the requirements of that $1.6 billion was we had to beef up our cybersecurity. Um, so we had all this money, all these resources. The FBI was providing us all the knowledge base that they could provide us. And yet we still kept coming back to talking about when we are hacked, this is what we need to do, right? And what, what really came clear from that is that the tech stack that is the internet by design is insecure, right? There's just, it's 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 supposed to be as open as possible. And, and, um, and it evolved, I mean, it's been evolving for 50 years. Um, and at that same time, Dominic Williams, uh, I saw him talking about how blockchain itself is 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 a replacement, can be a replacement for the current tech stack that is the internet, and one that incorporates crypt, uh, cryptography at the at each level, adding a, a level of security. Um, so he, you know, gave this great presentation about you know no more VPNs, no more firewalls, and at that time I was just in this. IT hell of VPNs and firewalls and managing a lot of that kind of stuff. And um, it really just kind of caught my attention that it's, it wasn't, um, so the internet computer and in, in this idea of a world computer that uh, Dom was uh, um, envisioning was not uh, like a crypto project, right? It wasn't um, a store value. It wasn't a NFT project. Like it had something that was more real uh, that to me, at least uh, from my perspective than, than anything else I was hearing in the space. And so, um, I don't know, things kind of led to each other, got really involved in the community, ended up at Definity, and now I've been here for almost two years and working for Definity and, and loving every minute of it. Well, so you caught the vision of uh, what they're building with the internet computer and said, that's what you want to contribute to and jump into. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it it again that that idea, like when you just start with that idea, no more VPNs, no more firewalls. Um, if anyone here is from has like lived in an IT department, like right then and there, you're just like, wait, what? Um, and so, and again, and again, it's um, uh, I love Web three. I love everything that crypto is doing now. I love the idea of digital ownership and self sovereignty. Um, but this was a different vision that went beyond that, uh, and it just kind of really captured my attention. So. That's that's awesome. As a as a Cloudflare stockholder, uh, stop fighting my bags. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Let's say hi to a few folks who popped in as well. Here we've got Blockchain Pearl, who's here as well. Uh, great to see you here, uh, Nathan. Well, welcome and thank you for the kind words. Yes, very happy to uh, you know take the heat and turn it into something useful. Um, and Three Doc, yo, welcome. Uh, so you mentioned ICP. You talked very at a very high level. Why don't we go deeper and? You can tell us what is ICP? Why is it special? Why is it different from the other twenty thousand blockchains that we have out there? Yeah, it's um, it's sometimes we struggle kind of explaining what the vision is, but World Computer kind of sums up right where um, it's essentially trying to replace. Um, if you think about like actually, if you think about the world in um, uh, uh, cloud, right? So you have AWS, you have Google Cloud. If you, th you could almost even think about the internet computer as a decentralized version of those software. So it's a full stack platform that you can deploy an application fully on blockchain. Um, that in and of itself isn't interesting, but what is interesting out of that is if you can put an application fully on the blockchain, then what you can do is incorporate some of those features of a blockchain, like decentralization, like transparency, digital ownership, uh, cheap financial rails, um, you can incorporate those into your application to build things that are not possible to build on the internet today. And I think, um, at least from how I always like to kind of think of it is the internet's kind of reached this stale moment. Like it's almost, um, you know, if you think about like 2005, you had like social media really took off, uh, the like 2008, 2009 is when the gig economy took off. And then in the teens is when SAS really started. So you had these like market segments, these verticals that really exploded. But you haven't had anything really since SaaS, right? Um, like the most innovative thing, if you take LLMs out, LLMs are their own thing. If you take LLMs out, they're like TikTok is like the most innovative innovation we've had on the internet. And all that is is taking YouTube and making it shorter and adding a different algorithm. Like, I feel like we've hit the end of the, the innovation cycle of the internet. And now blockchain in general is actually that next pioneer, that next zone in which um, innovation can occur. Now you've seen, you know, if you've looked at Bitcoin ordinals as an example, uh, like it's costing hundreds and hundreds of dollars to put a JPEG on the blockchain. So as you're, you're here talking about this world computer that's fully decentralized, uh, in my mind, I'm at least thinking that's going to be way more expensive than anything Google or Amazon is going to offer you. Mm. Um, so I know you're not a you know, developer necessarily or a cryptographer, uh, but can you give us a high level overview of how does ICP accomplish this in a way that's just sort of reasonable for developers to use with reasonable fees? Yeah, I mean, so um, the we're not competing on price, right? There's no way anyone's entering in the cloud space competing with Amazon on price. Um, just blockchain in general requires replication. That's inefficiency, right? And so that's not the way to think about it. Instead, it's extending beyond what you can build on AWS. So I always say, like, if your product can be built on AWS, build it on AWS. Like, you don't need you don't need crypto at all if if you can build it on AWS. Um, if it can't be because you need decentralization, like if that's a core part of what you're trying to build, if you need like uh, additional transparency, if you need cheaper financial rails, all of those things, that is the differentiating factor is build things on the internet computer that you couldn't build on AWS because you don't have those those core 
core tenets on on a you know centralized uh, cloud hosting service. Uh, I guess you you didn't fully answer the question of how can we do it in a way that's cost effective. Mm. So I get maybe it's not going to be as cheap as oh, AWS, yes. uh, but it's certainly hopefully going to be cheaper than Ethereum and putting anything on the Ethereum blockchain, for example. Yeah, so a lot of it, um, a lot of it comes down to efficient cryptography. Um, so Definity is one of the um, largest employers of cryptographers in the world on the private side, uh, outside of government. Um, and essentially, they've so the, the way that the internet computer works is it works on subnets. Uh, so a subnet typically is thirteen nodes. Um, they're usually extremely high-powered machines, um, and by by doing it that way, you can scale out, right? So it um, it introduces unlimited scalability. Um, and then again, the 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 consensus mechanism is is um, it just done much more efficiently, right? So like Ethereum, you think about like every node that's added is actually uh, uh, another replication factor. In this case, we control the replication factor at thirteen. Okay, so smaller number of nodes. Now, now talk a little bit about these subnets because um, I, I think. I'm coming from the world of you know Cosmos or Avalanche, where Avalanche has a concept of subnets, Cosmos has a concept of app chains, but it seems mm -hmm. like you're talking about a very different concept. Um, how would one use a subnet in an application? How would you know if you needed more than one subnet? Like, how does that work? Yeah, so um, you, I'll go with that last question first. How you would know if you need more than one subnet? Honestly, typically you don't, unless your application is scaling. We do have, uh, we have like a messenger app that has gone so far beyond the, the capabilities of one subnet that it's kind of moved over into a second subnet. There's also um, like a TikTok, TikTok uh, app is with uh, with a crypto element that's gone into two subnets. Um, so, but for the most part, the vast majority of apps can run on one subnet. Um, you know, you know, in general. Um, in terms of like how the subnets work, again, it's uh, thirteen nodes typically. Um, there are some like the governance uh, subnet is. Uh, oh gosh, and I should remember this off the top of my head. Thirty-seven, I want to say. Although, don't quote me on that. I should, I could look it up really quickly. Um, there's, there's one, there's one where there's a, a Bitcoin node running on it that has a lot more nodes. So where more security is needed, you increase that replication factor. Um, but the way that the the uh, um, the subnets themselves work is. Uh, there's there's a DAO that governs the entire internet computer. They also govern what uh, where like basically what nodes run on which subnets. And so by doing that, what you can do then is the DAO can deterministically determine how to decentralize a subnet, right? So you can ensure that a, uh, a certain data center only has one node on a subnet. You can ensure that a data pro uh, a node provider has only one node on a subnet. You can ensure like you can risk uh, reduce geographical risk by you know putting putting nodes on a given subnet you know geographically just uh, distributed things like that. Okay, so it, if I think of a subnet as effectively uh, thirteen AWSs replicated, is is that a good way of mm -hmm. thinking about it? Um, yep, yep. Each with their um, yeah, so each with their own ledger, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, and then as you as you, you talk about decentralization, uh, if you think about decentralization inside of a subnet, and then I guess across the whole network, I'd love for you to explore those two things. Uh, in you know Bitcoin, for example, they talk about the Nakamoto co coefficient. Um, mm -hmm. What's the equivalent in ICP? to kind of measure that decentralization among the 13 nodes and then across the network. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest the biggest way to measure that is by looking at that DAO. We call it the NNS. Um, yeah, so, but the DAO that governs the entire internet computer, the, the code, it governs the code as well as the hardware on the, on the network. Um, so if you did a Nakamoto coefficient for the NNS DAO and figured out like how many 
participants on that DAO would need to collude in order to to take over the network or, or you know act in in a self interest way. Actually, I shouldn't say that because everyone should be acting in a self interest way. That the idea though is incentives are such that everyone acting in their uh, self interest produces uh, a result good for the good good for the commons. Um, uh, but anyway, so that that would be the calculation. I did that a while ago, um, actually back in a year ago um, for the NNS. As much as you can tell, because there's uh, you have to use some heuristics to kind of figure out whether you know uh, how these participants, whether or not it's one entity or multiple entities, kind of participating. Uh, but when I did it, I thought I found that the minimum uh, coefficient that we had at the time was something around like 130. Okay, so this is 130 separate entities in order to. Um do some sort of attack on the network um is yeah, yeah and that and that and that's minimum right that's using the assumption again because you have to do heuristics to kind of figure it out i took the most uh the, the assumptions that would that are most going to produce the lowest coefficient number so uh, in in, re in reality it's probably in the thousands honestly okay okay and and is this based on on stake so it's uh, you know entities with the most number of stake in this kind of governance style that you have Yep. Yep. So the ICP token, you stake it within the DAO, uh, and then your your voting power based on that is is a product of how much you've staked, how many ICP tokens, multiplied by um, two other factors. One is uh, what we call dissolve delay. Uh, so that's essentially the length, the minimum length that you're staking for, and it can go up to eight years. Um, most people who stake prefer that eight years. Uh, and then also an, an age bonus. So the longer you've staked, the longer, um, the more voting power you have from your your stake. And the whole idea is, right, the, the, we want the DAO, honestly, we would love the DAO to be focused on like an eight-year vision for the product, right? People who are coming in, governing the system, not looking at the next Bitcoin, you know, having cycle to try to like, you know, how do I optimize this? <laughs> but actually looking long-term of like, you know, a decade out and and taking action based on that. So it sounds like the nodes within a subnet really have no governance power at all. And they're mm -hmm. really there at the will and behest of the governing DAO. And if they start to misbehave, I mean, they gain nothing from that, really. Right. Uh, yes, yes, 100%. Um, so uh, so it, it is a different, it is, there's a different um, relationship between the protocol and the nodes than you find in typical uh, crypto where there is more I, on the internet computer, it's more of a transaction, right? Uh, you know, you add your hardware, and as long as you're operating within the bounds, we're going to pay you this amount per month uh, to, you know, to, you know, uh, reimburse you for your cost of running that hardware. Okay, and that, that reimbursement, how does uh, perhaps let's get into the, the the token itself and the usage of the token? Because I know you have a fairly complex scheme of how the token is emitted and then how it's used to generate compute cycles. Uh, and mm -hmm. perhaps you could talk through all of that so folks can understand what, what the ICP token is used for and how it kind of generates revenue for different folks in, in the system. Yeah, so um, so it's emitted It's uh, emitted in two ways. It's minted, um, one, by governance rewards. Again, so the more voting power you have, the more you get rewarded for, for having staked your ICP. Um, and then the second way is to provide those node providers with, with remuneration for, the, for hosting or for adding their hardware onto the network. Um, so those two things, the governance rewards tends to be the bigger cause of mint. Um, and then in terms of burning it, so we have what's called a reverse gas model. Um, and what, again, coming from this idea of the internet computer is an extension of the internet. And this is probably something that we, uh, uh, a, a typical gas model, right? If you think about like what we ask consumers to do from a consumer perspective in crypto, 
is, you know, would be the equivalent of like every time you want to do a Google search, you had to pay a couple pennies. That, like that user experience is not great. Uh, and the internet figured it out really quickly. It's the developers who pay the cost and then they figure out to, to deploy their application and then they figure out how to reimburse themselves off of it. Yeah, That's the how users the... pay with just a little bit of their soul every time they data shared Ex with someone. <laughs> yes, right, right. Um, but we've, we've replicated that with the reverse gas model where um, not not the soul crushingness yet. Uh, that'll come, <laughs> that'll come in time. Um, <laughs> but we've replicated that model, right? Where the developer pays the cost. So they have to burn ICP to run their application on you know to run their application the amount they burn is dependent on how much data they're storing how much computation all of that kind of stuff and then it's on the developer to kind of figure out like this is the business model i'm running um and what we what we what we're hyper focused on is uh, we want basically a user experience we want developers to be able to build a user experience into their app that rivals what the internet is doing right because that's really there's no like that's how you get to that next stage of the internet is is by having a great user experience, um, and so yeah, so that's that's kind of the so ideally uh, right now we're in a uh, mo uh, uh, you'd call it an inflationary period uh, you know almost like a startup inflationary period where the governance rewards and the node provider rewards are outpacing the amount burned of um, for for uh, um, computation and storage, uh, but you know that that dynamic is constantly getting closer and closer to equilibrium. For the governance rewards, what are they typically used for? Is this to, to fund new projects or is there something else, you know, protocol development? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's whatever. I mean, if you're whatever the governance participant wants to do, um, I know because uh, I look at the data pretty extensively, 80% of the governance rewards tend to just get restaked anyways. Um, so most people just use it to kind of like um, increase their stake uh, and their voting power. Um, the other 20%, probably I would say 10% get sold. You know, they, they take their tokens, they send them to exchanges. Um, so maybe they're using their governance participation as like a second income or something like that. Um, and then the other 10% typically is invested back in the ecosystem. There's a couple ways, you know, um, some of it will be like through decentralization swaps where people are interested in becoming owners of the applications they're using. Some of them are used to buy like the typical token stuff, like using it as a medium of exchange to buy NFTs or participate in DeFi, that kind of stuff. Have you seen a lot of abuse in governance? So coming from the Cosmos world, uh, we joke sometimes that people are pillaging the treasury of the Cosmos hub and, you know, people get thousands of, of Adam to, you know, make some random YouTube video. And a lot of <laughs> folks get really upset about it. But unfortunately, you know, the, the way that voting works ends up that some of these things keep getting approved. Mm. How, do the, how do you combat some of that, especially where you have uh, almost unlimited token emissions? So there is no, uh, nothing stopping you from uh, inflating to infinity. Yeah, I mean, so somebody in the DAO could propose, anyone could propose anything in the DAO, right? So somebody could write some uh, a payload that says, look, here's a proposal. I say, give Kyle Langham uh, the, or give Kyle Langham's wallet a million ICP. Um, and if it got approved, I'd get a million ICP. Um, that, there's nothing There's nothing stopping that. Um, it, it hasn't happened. The only thing that has happened um, in terms of abuse is because... Uh, anyone could do a proposal. People were spamming uh, at one period of time. Um, and it was like, basically like, I'm just trying to like as an advertisement. Um, some of it was just as obnoxiousness. Um, you know, there's a lot of different reasons for the spam, but more more on point. So, um, cause there is, there is a different level here and this isn't so much, um, this is more of like a human or, uh, organization. I don't know how to describe it, but 
um, the DAO is still, and I think humans in general, this decentralization mindset is kind of challenging because we still think in hierarchy, right? Um, and so uh, the, the DAO works off of liquid democracy. So you can vote yourself on every single proposal. You can vote on certain proposals, but not other ones. But you can also give your votes to somebody else to vote on your behalf. Um, what in terms of like the protocol level ones, most people just trust affinity uh, to, you know, whatever code changes and stuff like that. They give their vote to there. Some some don't. But um, what we're what we're not getting to is having or what we're, we're what, what's going slower than I would have hoped. I would have hoped uh, it would have gone a lot faster is getting other entities like a Definity to come in there, writing code, mm -hmm. doing security reviews, managing nodes, that kind of stuff. Um, and we haven't quite figured out the organization in that sense. Um, the other area that has been phenomenal is um, on the governance level, right? So there's a whole governance topic of how do you how does the DAO operate? Um, that's one where we've seen a lot of decentralization. A lot of people have been give, like there's been, uh, I don't know, 15 or 20 either people, prominent people or organizations that have put um, put themselves out there to say, hey, follow me. This is how I want to lead the governance of the Internet computer. And that's seen a significant amount of decentralization. Definity gets almost we gets almost no following in that context. And instead, you see these like, you know, if you have a prominent application on the Internet computer, you're hyper-focused on the governance of the internet computer as a whole. And so these applications tend to say, hey, users of our application, if you're also in the NNS, follow us. Um, that So that's been great. Um, but yeah, we, that needs to also work itself down into like code changes, code updates, node, you know, node management, that kind of stuff. Got it. Is governance uh, differentiated by type of governance? Like, is there a governance track where um, you can make tech changes or a governance track for creating emissions for awards, or is it all just one one kind of governance action that you would take? No, it's uh, oh, so governance specifically, yeah. Uh, well, there's there's mostly two, um, but I'll focus. There's really uh, there's there is a second one um, in terms of governance of what applications are fully decentralizing through a specific path where they give their code over to the DAO to a. Uh, their application code over to a DAO. Um, so I'd say there's there's two governance um, pathways. But yeah, a lot of governance is booked into one. And then there's other topics that you can um, follow, like the tech side of stuff where like code changes, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the, the reason I bring it up is uh, one thing that I've seen teams try and wrestle with is the you know the difference between the kind of governance a validator would have, which is typically technical, and the blockchain uh, perform performance and improvements at that level, uh, versus you know someone has a really popular YouTube channel and they get to have a say in governance, but like should they be voting on the upgrade to the particular SDK package? It, it's unfair. <laughs> that's useful. Um, and so it, it sounds like you don't have like separate types of governors in that one, which is okay. I don't think anyone's done it well. Um, but yeah, it's just a problem I've seen. Yeah, there's 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 some progress that needs to be made. Um, I mean, ideally, the the idea behind liquid democracy is 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 where I think society is going to go to, right? Like, if you think about it, even actually um, from like an American politics standpoint, we elect a congressperson to go represent us on foreign policy, on uh, you know taxes, on uh, domestic issues, on infrastructure, on monetary policy. Like, one person is not an expert on all of those fields. Um, what I like about how the internet computer governance works is that you actually can break it down by expertise. So you could have, if, like you said, like maybe there's a, uh, a node 
provider who understands the node network and understands the economics of why they're running a node. And therefore, their opinion really should matter a lot more on node topics than random YouTube uh, influencer. That's the direction we want to go to. Again, it, it it's this progressive decentralization that takes time. It takes uh, the community. You know, it takes yeah. these people to kind of build their own um, expertise and following. And I don't it's it's going it's progressing. I would just like it to progress a lot faster. Yeah, and that, that's always. fair. And there's dangers on both sides, right? You don't want a technocracy where this, you know, one very smart person gets to decide everything. Um, <laughs> well, talking cool. to you, uh, Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. Um, there's like sometimes, hey, yeah, you do want to trust just a single person to get you through. Maybe there's a crisis. You need to trust a certain person. Um, I'm talking more philosophical. I'm going outside of blockchain now. But the, prop, the, the thing that you want is the ability to remove that at any given point, uh, you know, uh, moving forward. So if you're in a crisis and you need to trust one person because things just have to get done, yeah. you can give them that trust and then pull it back the second that crisis is done or pull it back once they've once you've lost your trust in them. So we had a couple of questions come through and I just want to pop them on the screen um, so that folks can they've been waiting a little while. Uh, Manisha's asking, can there be a dedicated subnet or canister to store data? Um, and I yep. think, you know, in the traditional world, we have separate ways of, you know, separating compute from storage from et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So uh, right now, a canister is limited to 400 gigabytes and a subnet is 900 gigabytes. Although that second one, I'm not, ex I, I, that's from memory. Um, but yes, so if you wanted to specialize uh, to have just a data subnet, um, the, the way to do that is just to reduce the... Um, uh, the number of nodes, right? So you do like a four node network, which then could store data extremely efficiently. And then you can run down the cost. The cost of storing data on in a canister right now is um, $5 per year per gigabyte. So it's still pretty cheap, but it's not, uh, you know, if you're running an AI application, um, that that kind of cost is going to add up really quickly. So maybe having a data subnet, um, the, the reason we don't have one right now is because there hasn't been a lot of market demand calling for it. Yeah, that's fair. What kind of subnets do you, do you typically get the most demand for? I mean, just our our um, run of the mill thirteen node um, typical like it's kind of a combination of storage and computation. It's optimized for kind of as a combination there. Um, yeah, honestly, a lot of people. So this is the other thing too, is right. You have like products like Arweave and Filecoin, which you can just you could store your data on those as well if you need a lot of data storage, and then just integrate your your ICP app into those. And so we've had like um, there was like a YouTube app um, that stored all their videos on Arweave and then just presented it on internet computer. So the internet computer was just the front end for the most part and some of the computation, but the data storage was Arweave. And so what you're saying is truly every computer science problem is just about caching and you're a cache layer that's closer to the user than perhaps Arweave. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, yes. Uh, the other, you know, you, yes. I'll, let's leave it at that. I feel like I'm doing too much talking. So uh, the show is about you for us to learn, Carl. So please uh, feel free to talk <laughs> as, as much as you want. I'm, I'm really interested in everything that you have to say. And I know we've got a couple more questions here uh, from the folks. So Nathan's asking about the different kinds of languages you can use on the internet computer. Um, I don't know if you have a, a list handy somewhere, if there's any limitation for that. He's asking specifically about Rust and C++. Yeah, Matoko is uh, an IC native language, um, but you can do Rust, TypeScript, Python, uh, C++, and I believe that's it. Let's go with that. Cool. So, so now, the typical ones is TypeScript, Rust, uh, C++. 
Now you were talking a bit about nodes and having a challenge to get other people to run nodes. What percentage of the network is run by Definity at the moment? Uh, none. We don't run any nodes ourselves. Okay, so, Not so that I, know of. I guess the, the nodes, the, the, the challenge you mentioned, you are overcoming in some sense in that people are running nodes for the network. Um, mm -hmm. How many different nodes, uh, sorry, my brain, I'm thinking validators. How many different nodes do you, do you, do you have? And can someone run like multiple nodes in different subnets? That's okay, but just not multiple nodes in the same subnet. Right. Yeah. So running a node, running, uh, yeah, uh, uh, nodes across multiple subnets doesn't present a security risk as much as two nodes in the same subnet. Um, in terms of number of nodes, uh, again, I'm going off memory. I should really um, pull all this up right now. Um, but, so, and uh, we can bubble up uh, in a second to talk about uh, use, use cases and user applications. I know we kind of went off in the weeds on tech. Well, let's go. Um, so somewhere around 1,500 nodes on the network. Of those, I think 300 are inactive and are waiting for the DAO to basically put them on. So maybe about 1,200. I think where, where we're at is um, the the there's more demand for people bringing nodes onto the network um, than there is for the computation that requires it, right? Um, so, you know, the network is still new. We've only launched uh, two and a half years ago. Um, and so we, we have we have we have enough of a backlog of people who would like to become a node provider um, that uh, we're, we're still, um, you know, we'll bring them. We have the capacity to keep scaling out, I guess, is the point. If someone's interested in providing nodes, uh, what do they need to bring? Is it effectively turnkey software that you run on yeah. local hardware? Uh, do you have restrictions around you can't turn around and run it on AWS? Uh, no, there are some. Uh, there are some running on AWS. In fact, um, and the idea again, the idea is that's part of decentralization. Um, so you don't want many. I think there's only a couple, like a handful, as like a more um, ex test experience. You know, like a you know. Uh, trial or, you know, just to kind of explore. Uh, but really, what there's certain hardware requirements. Um, so you do have to um, have pretty good hardware. And then uh, if, you, if you meet those, you install the software onto your hardware, and then the DAO has to approve. You have basically like an application to the DAO, and the DAO approves you, puts you on the subnet, and everything like that. So, Okay, awesome. So available to anyone. Um, one thing you mentioned earlier was this idea that you're really targeting experiences that Web2 people are familiar with. And uh, one thing that I often struggle with with uh, Web3 applications is latency. How do you guys mm. measure latency? How do you ensure that, you know, if I'm coming to YouTube, everything loads really fast, and I know Google's done a ton of work behind the scenes to make sure that's possible. How does that look in a ICP world? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, part of that is like how how much transactions we can do per second. Um, I know we're doing like 5,000 per second um, right now, uh, but that's, you know, we've done 20,000 before during like peak, you know, some apps just had this, you know, they're doing an airdrop and all of a sudden their they're <laughs> traffic spikes or something like that. Um, so so the, the TPS is important, but more more important is, um, so uh, for, for, read operations, I I don't really, when I'm actually using internet computer applications, I don't notice a difference between web two latency and web three. And a lot of that is because mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to notice 0.2 seconds versus 0.3 seconds. Um, but for writing, for writing applications, you do have um, uh, like a, probably like a second and a half uh, latency, which is noticeable in some applications, right? So if you're in a chat message, um, then, you know, if you're using a chat app, you're going to notice like, hey, I sent that message and it took a second and a half before it, you know, 
it maybe it shows up on my UI, but I know it's not posted yet, and I know my reader hasn't read it yet, and so there is a little bit of that. But um, is that just short short term limitations that over time will be overcome, or is it something inherent in the system that requires that level of latency? Well, I. Um, it's it's it has to do with the you know with the consensus right so you can read data um and you know since uh, i'm trying to remember exactly this has been explained to me so it's it, because when you're writing you need all the nodes in a subnet to agree on what has been written um uh, whereas with uh reading you can read basically just one node and and be fine um the in terms of whether or not we're pursuing that i don't know that we are pursuing decreasing that latency and i I think some of that is just because there hasn't been a lot in terms of like the product, really the, the technology roadmap. Like there's not a lot of people who are saying the latency is what's keeping us from X, Y, Z, right? A lot more people are focused on, um, you know, things like I need to store 400 gigabytes in my, you know, for this reason in, in this one canister. And so we've been prioritizing those kind of optimizations. Okay, that's fair. Uh, one thing that's exciting to me about what you've talked about is the big challenge that a lot of folks on Web3 have is these decentralizations of the front end. And typically that's the place that gets shut down first. You can even see if you look at Uniswap, you know, they got someone from the government knocking on their door. And so they shut down their front end for certain types of transactions for users in certain regions. Does ICP make people effectively resistant to those kind of regulatory actions? Uh, yes and no. Um, so you can store, you can run Wasm in a canister. So that makes ICP completely unique in the sense that you can actually run a front end in your smart contract. Um, no other chain is doing that. Although there are some chains that are exploring it um, as, as part of their product roadmap. Um, so it, it would be, so if a government wanted to shut it down, right? So if you think about like an app lives on a subnet, the government would have to then track down where the nodes were for that subnet, which maybe they can do. Most of them, probably at least 12 of them are going to live outside their jurisdiction. So they're going to have to now have some sort of coordination. Um, so if they went about it that way, uh, they could probably they could probably do it. Um, where censorship might step in is at the DAO level, because the DAO has full control over over everything. Um, and there was a use case, there was a case early uh, where somebody created a Super Mario Brother uh, uh, emulation and put it on the internet computer. Um, and the DAO basically had this discussion like everyone the community i should say had this whole discussion of like where do we draw the line on ip like where do we draw the mm -hmm. line on censorship um and it was actually going to have to come to a vote of do we do we force this thing to be taken down or do we do we allow this kind of um ip infringement and the person who who posted it who posted the application ended up taking it down themselves um so the DAO didn't have to vote but that it could be an area where um you could see some censorship right it and um yeah because the, the, again the the mindset that we have is the DAO has the DAO is the the governing body like they they have ability to uh take down canisters uh, at will where was the conversation leading i'm curious just how cypherpunk the DAO was or were they just uh like let's not kill our baby before it's even had a chance to walk i think um here so he, this would have been an interesting vote but i would say um the dgen community uh was leading towards this is totally fine and we should have no censorship um, the developer community was leading towards, look, we don't, we don't, this is a can of worms. We don't want opened. Um, so I don't know, it would have been an interesting vote in terms of, uh, where, where that could have gone. Now, as we talk about decentralization, obviously the internet has lots of different layers. How, how deep do you go in the layers? Like does, 
uh, RCP have its own kind of version of TCPIP effectively at the, at the protocol level? Are you able to connect directly to browsers or hardware devices? Like if a government, government were to come and censor, where, where can ICP stop as far as protecting you? Um, so, uh, yeah, that's a great question. In terms, I don't, I don't know that I can actually answer the TCP/IP. Uh, whether so, I think, I mean, we leverage the the current current infrastructure, obviously. In terms of where the governments could stop, like ISPs is a clear spot, right? Like, pretty much anything on the internet, uh, you can't you can't get past the ISP. Um, there's also boundary nodes that do the routing uh, for the network. Mm -hmm. um, those might be um, an area that. Uh, uh, a government could target, but again, those are decentralized uh, geographically as well. Um, but yeah, so that's uh, yeah. I'm not sure if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's to, great. to the Let's best say... of my ability. That that answers. <laughs> <laughs> and and I think you know we'll find out once we get tested with a lot of these because there's techniques that you or I are completely unaware of that they would have. Um, let's talk about something that you were really passionate before the show, which is the applications that are built on ICP and the use cases that we can we can bring to folks. Um, tell us a bit about what are some of the awesome applications? What are the use cases that ICP is targeting into the future that would like to bring into the network? Yeah, so there's a couple different ways to go. I mean, one of the nice things about being a general, you know, a general cloud host is that people can build whatever they want. And so, you know, some blockchains will be specialized on DeFi, some will be specialized on gaming, that kind of stuff. Um, that's not the case so much for the internet computer. I'll give two. I'll give two two uh, app examples though. Um, one is uh, Discover DSCVR. Um, what they basically did was they built a Reddit clone on the internet computer, which in and of itself, again, it was cool because you're like, oh wow, Reddit on uh, fully on on chain was awesome. Yep, there you go. And um, and so this is actually going to highlight two awesome things about the internet computer. Uh, one was, and then and then what they've been doing though is they've been evolving the product that they offer. So um, again, going back to that idea of like we can't compete with Reddit as a as a feature for feature. Uh, so what are we going to do? Like what does the blockchain bring us? So now they have uh, these these user groups, and a user group can be um, can have its own token. It can be gated by an NFT or a fungible token itself. So you can kind of really create like um, walled communities uh, that that are like, you know, you have to be in it to be in it that can have their own uh, economies even within it. So you could have like moderators get paid in, in tokens and that kind of stuff. So that's kind of one area um, where they're really exploring of like building communities that are like true communities with their own economy and their own, um, their own uh, place to talk and, and everything. Uh, the other way that they're doing, and you see, like on Solana, there is um, one of the awesome things about the internet computer is is we're not we're not aiming to we're not like we're not an ETH killer, we're not a Solana killer. We we try we we try to amplify all chains in the sense that you should be able to integrate your application pretty easily across the crypto ecosystem. And so our vision is that that world computer that um, you blockchains. L1s can be focused on specific use cases or specific optimizations. And then the way that people might move between chains uh, should be have a great user experience. So you should be able to have an internet computer app that somebody can uh, you know, be on the Solana blockchain and then easily move to Ethereum or even, even easily move to Bitcoin and not even really realize that they're going between chains because the user experience is just such a natural feeling. So. How is this um, going between chains? Like from a user experience, it, as you said, it feels like I'm just in the same application. What about Solana is being used as I'm 
navigating into the Solani. <laughs> yeah, so discovered it the hard way because um, we haven't completed our, so um, we will have by the end of this year, we'll have uh, threshold snore signatures. So then you could build what Discover has done um, uh, manually. You could actually just build it as part of uh, uh, much more seamlessly by the end of this year, but they they did their integration last year. Um, so there's a couple of things they use, right? So we have like HTTPS outcalls. Uh, so there's no need for oracles. So you could you could call um, Solana services uh, like you would an API. Um, so they're doing that. And then um, in terms of everything else, they I think they had to basically kind of um, um, uh, what's the word? We're basically, build out their own libraries for for how to do signatures on Solana and that kind of stuff. So I know it was a brute force effort on their part. Um, Bitcoin, you can actually you can write Bitcoin uh, transactions right now. You can sign you can sign a Bitcoin transaction from the internet computer uh, completely right now. So that's that's fully integrated. Uh, Ethereum will be fully integrated by um, by April this year. We've 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 got three phases uh, that that are moving forward with. Um, and then, yeah, and then Solana and Taproot will be the next the next two integrations. So by the end of this year, you should be able to do full Bitcoin, including Taproot, full Ethereum, full Solana. I, I think you just blew my mind. So hold on. <laughs> so you've, <laughs> you've got this application that's running an ICP. And say I wanted to, as a builder of this application, do a swap, a token swap. I could call out to Radium on Solana and do the token swap. Or if I wanted to tip someone, I could tip them some Bitcoin here and I would send it directly to their Bitcoin wallet. And those are all effectively APIs that ICP ultimately will encapsulate. Well, even even better than that. So if you go to like bionic.io is a great example of, um, it's a, uh, sorry, with a Q, uh, B-I-O-N-I-Q. Yeah. So this is a new marketplace that just launched for ordinals. It's 100% on the internet computer. Um, and what you can do is if you, uh, what they're doing is they're doing like, they're called like reserved ordinals, almost like a wrapped ordinal that, that lives on the internet computer that you can then write back to the Bitcoin blockchain. It's when you write it back to the Bitcoin blockchain, it's not even a API call. It is just a, a legit transaction sent to the mainnet of Bitcoin. Um, and that's accomplished because there's a Bitcoin light node running on the internet computer. That's pretty amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm very, very impressed with that. So, so basically, this is fully decentralized uh, from whatever layer upwards that uh, is supported by ICP. I mean, so uh, yeah, you could. So the it's a developer choice, right? How much decentralization is occurring? I I don't know that they're running their front end from the internet computer. They may they may have centralized that. I mean, obviously, it's a develop. Uh, there's a dev team behind it. There's a company behind Bionic. Um, they could. Because everything can be on the internet computer, they could just package up all that code, put it under the control of a DAO and decentralize the entire application. And there's been a bunch of applications that have done that for various reasons. Um, but yeah, so in terms of like, I would say it's like the decentralization really is what what, it's, what does the product require, right? Is kind of that should drive the, the level of decentralization, so. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. Uh, what other applications? So we talked a little bit about DSCR. What are the other ones that are you would point to as sort of hero applications on the ICP? Yeah. So one of the other interesting ones would be in gaming. There's um, a DAO called Boom DAO, and what it is is a collective of different um, gaming companies. And what they're trying to do is uh, essentially move. Um, uh, create like standard APIs that are unstoppable. So you know you can. Uh, because you can do HTTP outcalls, you could actually create APIs and then black hole the canister so that nobody could change the API. So you don't have, like the, the idea is that you don't want to have um, 
uh, like situations like Zynga on Facebook uh, from the while mm -hmm. back. Um, so what they're trying to do is create like an ecosystem where developers can build a game, bring it on into their ecosystem. And then if you have a digital asset in one game, you know, sharing that across the games is uh, also possible. Okay, so the, the vision that a lot of people have with NFT gaming, uh, effectively helping to bring that to reality. Yeah, yeah. And again, everything would be, there's, uh, this is a DAO itself. All the code for what they're developing is owned by the DAO. I, that's, that's, I can't, I can't stress that enough that uh, the internet computer code is all governed by a DAO. And then applications have the ability to take their code and, and completely govern it by a DAO so that all code changes have to go through that DAO. Um, so, you know, again, if you're going to trust an API, if you're going to trust some sort of, if you're going to build, if you're going to invest money and trust some sort of API, you want to know that it's not just, um, uh, you know, Zuckerberg on the back end who can be like, hey, I saw you built a billion dollar company. I'd like, I'd like, I'd like a big slice of that billion dollar company because you're using my platform. Um, you know, now, now it, it is, you know, there's a DAO controlling it, not just a single individual. So. Yeah, and that's something we've seen big tech do over and over again. So uh, definitely uh, a concern. Nathan's saying, I should ask you to tell me about OpenChat. <laughs> I love OpenChat. That's probably the uh, internet computer application I use the most. Um, it's it's a, it's WhatsApp, it's uh, Telegram, um, but it's 100% on chain. They're, they're the first major, actually, no, that's not true. They're the second application on the internet computer to turn all their code over to a DAO. Um, but yeah, it's... You know, you can, uh, so here, let me, what is my name? Kyle, I think I'm just Kyle Langham on there. Or am I Kyle L? Hold on, I gotta open up the chat. Oh, it's gonna. That's Ooh. okay, we don't, we don't need to see your, your <laughs> private chat. Um, anyway, well, I was just gonna say, you, we could like, we could chat. So again, it's uh, chat on chain. Um, and then, you know, uh, um, again, there's no point in replicating what somebody else has done. So like Telegram's already done it. So what OpenChat is doing is evolving into a couple of different ways. Like one is sending tokens through chat messages. That's kind of awesome. You can um, send Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, ICP through a chat message. Um, the second thing is um, that I think actually, and they have the, the DAO itself. I'm a member of the OpenChat DAO. Uh, so full disclosure, I guess. I don't know if it's part of it. I'm part of the NNS DAO as well or the ICP one. But um, one of the things that we haven't quite figured out within that DAO is how do you leverage the fact that the users of the app or the owners of the app in a marketing context, right? So um, that's something that really could like open up of like, you know, you think about these things, these applications that have network effects. And, um, you know, if the owners of the app are also incentivized or are also the users, then you have this thing where they're kind of incentivized to get their friends onto the mm -hmm. app itself. Um, if nothing else, just to pump their own investment kind of a thing. But, you know, like, hey, stop stop reaching out to me over Signal and start reaching out to me over uh, OpenChat. So, yeah, I mean, it's the, the, the premise of Web3 where they talk about read, write, own and the value mm -hmm. that you get from Web3 is you effectively have free marketing because people are owners in the, in the ecosystem. Yeah. Um, so so here's here's another layer to this. Um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> now I'm getting very passionate. Yeah. Keep going. Um, so, so uh, if you were to log in, um, you, there's a thing called internet identity. So it's an identity layer on the internet computer. Okay. Oh, you, you're doing your homework. So um, uh, most apps, and now it's obviously it's, it's an opt-in for each developer. So it depends on whether or not they want to use internet identity or a different login tool. Um, but internet identity is set up so that uh, a, first of all, from a user experience, it's just tied to your biometrics on your, on your machine. 
Um, so you can get away from like C phrases and that there is a C phrase, but most people just put multiple machines on their internet, internet identity and use the biometrics. But it's an identity layer where applications can't track you across. So, you know, as I'm sure you know, when you're logging in with Google, uh, your Google now knows like, oh, you have a Facebook account. Oh, you have a um, Bank of America account, whatever it is. Uh, so internet identity is nice because it gives, for a developer, it gives you an identity solution, easy to implement, but it also protects your privacy as a consumer, so. Yeah, now that you're, you're talking a little bit uh, about privacy, um, let's go a layer deeper into internet identity. So when I've been, uh, and I haven't actually kind of built out a full account, I, I stopped originally when it's like, we're gonna create your internet identity and it had a bunch of login with Gmail, login with other things. Mm. And I backed away and said, okay, this isn't very web three. This is very mm. good too. And it could have been my own misunderstanding at the time uh, of, of using it. Uh, but how is the internet identity uh, different from a wallet, different from Gmail from the perspective of privacy? Yeah, I'm, well, I mean, kind, I mean, this is one of the things, it's not that much different from a wallet. Um, your internet identity can carry assets. So, um, but in terms of, I actually, I didn't realize that there was a, a login with Gmail uh, option. Um, but either way, it's again, it's you have some sort of way to authenticate yourself to internet identity, which then passes those credentials on to the application that you're trying to log into, uh, but does so without giving the application knowledge of who you are across the ecosystem. So, yeah, so it just might have been specific to a couple of the apps that I saw. So I saw something like this. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So this is so again. This is this is a product decision uh, made by the developers, right? So Discover felt, hey, we need an option. We need an option for people. I don't. Maybe they're going for like a Web two crowd for them to come in with Google. Bionic does uh, also does Google as well. Um, you can see internet identity below. You know, four four down, I guess. So if you wanted to log into Discover with internet identity, you can do that. Um, so again, what what are the things? Um, it's it's not up to the internet computer to dictate how uh, developers want to deploy their apps. What we want is developers to deploy an app that makes sense to their users. If complete privacy from Google is important for your for either from you as an ethos or from you as a product development perspective, because you know there's there could be a lot of reasons why a product you would you would one of the things you offer is hide you know privacy from Google. Um, that's all that's all on the developer to make the product that they think the market wants. Now we talked a bit about uh, open chat and one of the concerns I'd have, I'm assuming you know all the chats are encrypted, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how does forward secrecy work on open chat? Because if something's on the blockchain, it's on the blockchain forever. And you're assuming that in the future, a new technology is not going to come along that can decrypt some of those messages. Yeah, so um, I don't I don't know technically how they're doing it, but um, data data stored in a canister is by default private. So it's up to the developer to make data that's stored within their own smart contract available to uh, available to the public. Okay, okay. And I, I guess there's lots of apps you can't know everything about every app. Uh, there was one other one that came up um, from Ilias who's asking me to ask you about Bitfinity. <laughs> Yeah, so Bitfinity, um, they uh, are planning to launch, I want to say it's in two weeks, but I, I also don't want to put their feet to the fire if that's not the case. Um, Bitfinity is a EVM that's going to live on the internet computer. Uh, and then at that point, what you have is, um, so again, there's a Bitcoin node running on uh, on the internet computer. At that point, Bitfinity will be a platform, uh, an EVM platform. And so now you have full EVM functionality 
also with the ability to write and read uh, read the Bitcoin state as well as write transactions. And so again, this this idea that you can build applications where the user doesn't even care that they're interacting with Bitcoin and maybe they don't even need to know that they're interacting with Bitcoin or Ethereum. Awesome, awesome. Are there any other kind of use cases that you'd like to highlight that have been built right now or that are currently being built uh, within the community? Uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot. There's, um, there's, uh, gosh, so like you could think like there's um, uh, European uh, um enterprise like consulting company that is exploring doing like document management, IP management uh, for, at the enterprise level. That's kind of interesting. So like they, uh, I guess what I want to say, what I want to convey is like, again, it's a cloud hosting thing. So it's not, there's not specific verticals that like we focus on or anything like that. It's a, it's an open platform. And what people are doing with that depends on um, a lot of things. There's like a recycling credit thing that's uh, enterprise level as well, where people can opt in to get recycling credits that I think is cool. There's also a green um, green uh, sustainability monitoring system that's being built on. So there's kind of like a whole green thing that's going on. Um, in AI, there's some cool things. People have taken uh, LLMs and put them in a smart contract. And what they're trying to do is then make it so that you have um, I'd always describe it as like LLM as an NFT. So you can buy an LLM and it can be like your own personal, you know, it's pre-trained. And so you could train it with your own, your own text messages or something like that to kind of customize it to yourself. And now you have a uh, smart contract, a canister that is an LLM that is a little chatbot for yourself. Like just those kind of, now whether or not there's a market for that, who knows? They're going to try to find out, right? Yeah, so, that's but that's kind just of interesting, right? If you could have a, an, an LLM and you could train it in a certain way, uh, what's the secondary market look like for that? The kind of training that you give it. Um, oh yeah. I, so I mean, so if we go down AI, I mean, AI is a whole bucket of stuff where you're like, what can blockchain do for AI? Like, you could have a. So uh, the people who are going to make money in AI are the ones who own data. Like that's legit. Like right now, data scientists are making a lot of money, and and Nvidia, like hardware providers, are making a lot of money. That's gonna those are, those are gonna become commodities. Uh, data itself is the the value. Um, so you could imagine marketplaces where people can bring their data. They can load it onto a blockchain so that uh, they can load it onto the blockchain so that they can now like an NFT easily transact on it and transact at, at fractions mm -hmm. of a penny. Um, and then somebody could come and contextualize that data, or they could uh, clean that data. And now maybe they have part ownership of that new data set because they've added value to it. And then maybe somebody else comes and says. Uh, another person has data, I'm going to get that data and I'm going to take this data and I'm going to combine it in a very useful way. And now everyone has part ownership of that new data. Like you could just do some pretty crazy things like that. From a data perspective, you could do set up on um, verification. Like, do you, are you actually interacting? Uh, can you cryptographically prove that you're interacting with the inference engine that you think you're in, interacting with? Uh, there's, there's a, 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 a green field just waiting for people to kind of explore it uh and and um i don't know there's i i kind of can't wait to see like how ai and, and blockchain uh, did you guys see how kyle's eyes, eyes lit up when he started talking about data <laughs> that's the reason he's the director of data and analytics <laughs> let's talk about data a little more and specifically adoption for icp and um how you measure adoption for it and what your adoption metrics look like as much as you can share obviously you're not looking for any data that's private yeah, so most blockchains usually look at like number of wallets transacting their token. Um, that is less meaningful for us because again, our token is 
so you can use it for medium of exchange, but mostly it's governance. Mostly it's using it to do computation. Um, instead, what we look at, the, the number one metric we look at is um, what we call cycles burned. So that is essentially you burn your ICP to do computation. Like, is that going up or down? Um, in and so like that's that's the most important because that's like pure revenue like, that's revenue for the network right like people are spending money to put their app on the on the network and run their app um what i will say is in 2022 that that figure did a 20x uh last year it did a uh 3x i think uh two and a half x um and you know 2024 the first 18 days are, are looking pretty good uh, for continuing that trend. Um, is there so a graph some way that, that shows this um, that I can if you, pull up? Yeah, go to dashboard.internetcomputer.org. So that folks following along can kind of see what, what you're talking about. This one? Yep. Uh, so that that uh, metric right there, cycle burn rate, uh, says 16, was that 16 trillion? So that, that right there is actually the live reading of it. Um, you can see we're above the 90-day average. Um, if you scroll down a bit, you can see a time series chart. Keep going, keep going. Uh, right there, cycle burn. So you can see it over over time. Uh, so right there, seven days. You can see we're at kind of a higher period right now. If you look, well, uh, I guess we fair. had some weird spike there. Um, that chart's not good either. It does seem like it spikes fairly often. I guess it's measuring day by day, so it's difficult to... Yeah, I, in this chart, it's probably just taking one data point. Um, that's not a very useful, useful chart, honestly. Um, I actually scrape this and 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 sum it up across the time frame, so I have a, a clearer picture. But um, but yeah, actually, you can see like network activity does do spikes. You know, and maybe again, that could be um, somebody did some high traffic thing, like an airdrop uh, or some sort of like new product launch. Um, you, you could also do uh, like um, uh, if an app's doing like a major upgrade to all of its canisters, like the open chat one has 70,000 canisters. So whenever they upgrade the canisters, it requires a lot of, a lot of computation. Awesome. Are there other metrics that are important to, to look at? I know there's a whole slew here, but other ones that, you know, the community looks at. The community likes to go to that top one on the right transactions. So that's the TPS. Um, <laughs> they're very proud they're very proud of it uh because it's you know it's uh well above like whatever what the what what even the second place you know i think like solana might be second place in tps so it's about 10x that um so people like to point out that honestly for from my perspective uh again the the one thing that matters is that cycle burn rate because that is like developers spending money to have their app running on the internet computer so how much value is the internet computer bringing um, the other one's important to look down is if you actually see that world chart there, that's where all the nodes are. Um, so you can mm -hmm. kind of see from a decentralization, you see, we have a little bit of work to do. We, we obviously we'd want to get into like South America more, um, you know, and happy and to see one in Cape town. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, yeah. I've got family in Cape town. So that's good. <laughs> are they, are they node providers? Uh, no, <laughs> yeah, most definitely not. My brother's a farmer. The, the last thing he wants to do is provide nodes for anything. <laughs> awesome um but yeah yeah those uh, that cycle burn the second metric and it's not on this dashboard um um and i would actually just point to like third-party sources as a validation like electric capital um is probably the, the number one source uh, but the number of developers unique developers building on on the internet computer so 
Awesome, awesome. So one of the metrics, and and maybe this is the portion where we'll get into some uh, mm. rude questions here. Um, yeah, yeah. One of the metrics that a lot of people look at is TVL. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. it's not a perfect metric for those who aren't uh, aware. It's uh, you know total value locked, um, which tends to represent the economic activity that's happening within an ecosystem, specifically on DeFi. Um, and that's one where uh, for the, the you know the size of ICP as a market cap, it's fairly fairly low. It's down yeah. at number 37 on the list on DeFi Llama. Can you talk a bit about that? Is being low concerning? Are you looking to cultivate DeFi ecosystems? What does this mean for folks? So um, if, if it's if it's low or high really depends on what uh, what the market wants, right? Um, are there apps that people want? Um, I was, so let me say this. So we launched the mainnet of um, the internet computer in May of 2021, right? And that date's kind of important because it was very much the peak of um uh like going into DeFi summer the very much peak of the market as a whole uh if you think like that was actually it once we launched uh bitcoin dropped like 40 percent the our first three weeks uh after launch um so essentially what it meant was that we missed a lot of the DeFi summer a lot of the DeFi stuff that happened the market kind of moved on to solana and and other DeFi chains um and so we just never were a big player in DeFi. Um, I will say that in, is it important? I, in the past, it hasn't been, but specifically right now, because you're, we're integrated with Bitcoin and because we're about to have full integration with Ethereum, the ability to go from Bitcoin to Ethereum and Ethereum to Bitcoin in a great user experience uh, without introducing any intermediaries, all of that is is got massive, massive potential. And I would say if like looking from a year from now that uh, we're still number 37 on DeFi Llama, then that would probably a sign that we haven't been um, actively achieving that that potential. So, um, so I would say it's becoming more important now that we are having these full integrations. Yeah, and for folks who are, are curious about the potential of that, you can really look to ThoughtSwap, mm -hmm. which is, is another decentralized way of swapping between different coins. I mean, they regularly do like a billion dollars a day, uh, last 24 hours, 200 million. Um, so there's decent potential there if you're able to successfully um, to deliver that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, uh, yeah, there's, uh, uh, ThorChain has done a phenomenal job, um, and honestly, we probably will be look at like what their playbook was and, and try to copy it to a certain extent. But they have, uh, I mean, both just from like a decentralization standpoint of you don't have um, these these intermediaries who can run away with your Bitcoin, the the SBFs or the FTXs that can uh, undercut your uh, SOL BTC, uh, that kind of stuff. So they've done a great job. Yeah, I had a bunch in Voyager and I'm not happy <laughs> about everything there. Um, just a comment on, I'm not going to say your name on, on the channel, sorry, but uh, the, the amount staked for me in particular is not something that I see as valuable as you look at DeFi activity. It just means there's a bunch of coins. Uh, so I think that's a reason DeFi Llama doesn't show up by default. There is a setting, you can toggle it, but I don't think it's worth talking about personally. Even even if you toggle that for us, I don't think we show up because um, uh, the staking for the internet computer is a governance activity and DeFi Llama from their rules. And I can't remember exactly. I remember we we've kind of like hounded on them, like, hey, we think this should be included because we have right now we have like three billion dollars staked into the governance system of the uh, of IC of the internet computer. Uh, but yeah, deep, it's just from whatever DeFi Llamas they have to draw a line somewhere, and wherever that line is. We're below it, um, and so they don't include the uh, the governance token staked as as staked tokens. Cool. The the other thing that I've heard concerns about from folks mm. is this chart from Masari, which is the token distribution, showing a decent amount of centralization 
or ICP? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this is not the first time we've gotten this question. Um, what I would say, absolutely right, and it's great to call it out. Um, the uh, Definity started in 2017, I think it was, and really started doing its fundraising in like 2018, 2019. At that time, so this is not this is not an excuse. This is just context. Um, at that time, VCs were the funding source, right? Uh, crypto had just gone out of ICO season. Uh, that was seen as scammy, right? For, rightfully so. Uh, and VCs were the new funding mechanism. Uh, so that was kind of the context of when Definity was actually doing its its fundraising. Um, and I, I mean, just again, as somebody who looks at the data. Um, what I can say is like, it's pretty clear that a lot of those VCs are, have, or are in the process of just selling their tokens. They made a profit. They're happy with their profit. They want to invest those profits other places. Um, so all that to say, uh, the, the amount of money required to make the internet computer was high. The VCs was the easy choice at the time. And it was also the socially acceptable choice. It, it provided at that time, it yeah. provided like like um, assurances to the community that this is a legit product because VCs have vetted it and, and given it credit. Um, in hindsight, five years later, VCs VC funded is not is not good. Uh, it, and also, if you look at all the projects that launched in the 2020 frame, um, all of them are pretty much VC backed. Like pretty much, this was the playbook to follow. Um, and in hindsight, everyone has kind of came to that. Like uh, it would have been so it would have been worth the hard work to decentralize your token sales at the time and not just go the easy route of let's just work with, you know, 10 or 15 VCs. Um, in actuality, what's happened is that decentralization has occurred, um, but with a lot of pain and over the course of, you know, three years. So I'm going to visualize that pain for folks. <laughs> oh gosh. Why do you do this to me? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't want to talk about today's token price, but I, I do think that it's worth uh, talking about what happened at the launch. Uh, because I have never seen a token drop so quickly that wasn't a rug of some sort. So talk us through that. What's going on here? Well, if this is a rug, it is the slowest rug you're going to ever see. Um, <laughs> no, so here's there's there's uh, there's three things happen. We already talked about VCs, uh, and they made a pretty penny once we launched. Um, and uh, so you know some of them, uh, not all of them, but some of them have decided, hey, we made enough money on this project. Let's move on. Um, the second thing, and this is um, this went from conspiracy to um, to pretty much proven out um, back in November of 2022 was um, FTX had a futures perp on ICP uh, leading up to the launch, uh, and then they didn't have a token, a, a, um, a spot token at all. So they had this make believe futures thing before there was actually even an ICP token, which that was the price when you looked at if you pulled up that chart again. That was that initial when the, when the token launched, it launched at that perp price, um, and and so that was like an unreal unrealistic price set up by FTX. Uh, now, why they did that? Probably because they could make a lot of money selling perps to something that didn't exist. Um, there's also a lot of speculation that you know, at the time, there's a lot of concern that the internet computer was going to replace Solana. Um, FTX was heavily invested in the Solana ecosystem. Um, if that's the case, then I would just say Sam Bankman-Fried really nailed it uh I, you know not to not i don't want to give him credit but like in terms of like a dagger that was a pretty good dagger because you get a price a chart like that and that instantly turns people off and in, in actuality the token probably should have launched around like 120 or maybe even lower than that like 80. uh so if you look at that like on that chart 
the chart would look a little bit different, but still not not a great chart. It would still be, you know, we would have gone from launch price of 120 down to 11. Um, and then the rest of that, I think, can be explained by we launched at the peak of the market. Right. Basically, we nailed the top tick of the market, uh, which is really impressive. Uh, it's sarcastically impressive. Um, <laughs> and, and then other than that, yeah, like um, there's probably a good argument that we haven't done a great job of um, communicating um, what the Internet computer is. And and we've we've because we haven't done a good job at that. I think a lot of people have just bucketed us into like a me Too L1, like, oh, you're Solana. Oh, you're an ETH killer. Um, I hope from this conversation you're seeing like that's not that's not at all what the internet computer is. You know, like Solana is a phenomenal technology, and there's a great place for it in in building amazing products. And what the internet computer would like to do is amplify that, right? Like be another source so you can maybe store data on the internet computer, but have your app on Solana and have a great dev experience and a great user experience from that. Um, and so because we haven't done a great job of like clarifying, like this is actually what the internet computer is and this is what people should use it. Um, I think the investors have just basically kind of like had to say like, hey, it's, 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 you know, uh, you know, I'm going to bucket it into something I know, and you don't have nearly the number of users as Solana, and therefore you should be a fraction of Solana or something like that. That's yeah, all speculation on my part, but it's definitely a message that, that that I haven't gotten. And I'll be honest, like you know, after seeing and experiencing some of this chart that I, I showed you, uh, it's very difficult to get over that and to start to look at what you all have built over the last couple of years. So that's one thing I do appreciate you kind of walking me through that. I'm getting an education here as well through it. It. Uh, yeah, I mean, it it's it kind of speaks to crypto, I think, as well. Uh, and, and this isn't like um, I'm not trying to throw shade at you because I would have done the same thing. You look at it and you're like, oh, what? There's a story that needs to be told when you look at a chart like yeah. that, and you don't get the chance to tell that story for the most part. And I would say this: Definity is is we we we're not interested, honestly. In we're interested in technology. We're not interested in, in token price. What we want to do is, you know, create world changing technology get it out in the hands and then the market can do whatever it wants with the token. That's, that's separate. That's something that we're not so much concerned with. Um, and so then you end up with these situations where you have a chart like that without a lot of context and people are left to, to create their own, you know, make their own decisions off of that. So. Yeah. We have a question here from uh Hiracel who's asking about the initial VC tokens, mm -hmm. um, how long they were locked for and how much is left. I don't know yeah. if you know that. Yeah, so there's a couple different like investment classes or like time times in which money was raised. Um, I'll say so uh, for uh, for seed round ones, which made up I think 24% of the token distribution. Uh, those were locked for four years uh, with a with a monthly distribution. So those have another um, year and three or four months. Um, there's so that's those seed donations. Uh, there's um, early contributors that nine and a half at the very top. Um, those were locked for um, two and a half years. So those have now completed as of December. Um, the let's see what else is on there. The strategic investors, those were um, based mostly on like um, uh, uh, like contracts. And those mostly those. So that'd be investors and partners, I think, would be under that as well. Those have mostly vested. Um, there might be still a few contracts outstanding. Um, and then the rest are, I mean, Definity, you know, you can see we took most of our tokens and staked them into the governance. Um, Internet Computer Association staked most of their tokens. Um, yeah, so I think that probably answers it. 
Okay, so I guess the, the answer is the VCs are mostly at least vested, whether they've sold everything, you know, who knows for sure, but uh, vested at least. Yeah, yeah, and and it'll be fully vested, um, and uh, fully vested in um, uh, May of next year will be the very, everything will have had a chance to vest. Now, some VCs have said, look, we believe in the project, we are going to actually not, we're going to stop the vesting cycle and actually stake everything for eight years. Um, so some of them have done that. Um, so there, there will still be VCs living out um, it, past past the, the vesting. You did pick up a fan here from Backbone Labs um, who are interested in looking into ICP. They do uh, liquid stake derivatives. They've got an NFT store uh, currently on Terra and a few different blockchains. So um, yeah, if you get a message from a skeleton, <laughs> then you, yeah. you know what's up there. Uh, I do Let's... have Carl's contact details down below. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Reach out. I'll connect you with the growth team for developer relations. Uh, looking to get in a grant for you as well, if uh, if it fits our grant criteria. Awesome. So we, we've talked through, you know, a couple of the concerns that I've heard from folks. What other concerns have you heard come up in discussions that you'd like to talk through and perhaps provide a little more context? The um, the biggest concern, I guess, or the the question is, um, what is ICP? Like, what what is it you guys stand for? Again, and that comes back to the fact that we haven't really fully identified exactly what we are in crypto. Um, and I think you probably heard in my use case examples. There's, we're not the technology stack is not applicable just to crypto as well, right? There's very clear use cases for enterprises, for even governments, um, that kind of stuff, and. Um, and so, yeah, so I think that that really falls on our marketing team to really kind of actually create the market position. Um, and I know that they're working really hard on on how to identify and how to segment the different markets so that they can can be more targeted towards uh, specific audiences. Um, I think there's uh, one of the complaints we get a lot is our terminology. Uh, you probably heard I use the word canister and not smart contract um, because our smart contracts can carry awesome. So it's it's not it's different. Um, whether or not that's advantageous, that's what we do. Um, you know, we we talk about our Bitcoin integration and, and then any synthetic built off of that integration. We don't we we don't call it wrapped. We don't call it bridged because it's just protocol to protocol. Some people might argue like, hey, that actually is a bridge, whatever. Um, so sometimes our terminology gets confusing. And then the, the final thing is is um, and we perhaps over-engineered a lot of things. Like when I was describing a lot of like the governance system and things like that, you could tell it takes a, a 10 minute conversation to, to even really scratch the surface. Uh, so we probably were, the, the, their organization Definity is like 80, 90% R&D engineers. And so we we definitely go heavy on on engineering and and we perhaps over-engineer. It makes it a lot more complicated for people to to understand it and then adopt it, so. Yeah, I think the more degrees you have, the more you over-engineer things. Yeah, that could be true. Yeah, uh, We have uh, Viscare, who's really eager to get hired, and he's <laughs> saying don't block his blessings. So <laughs> if you're hiring for marketing, there's at least one person who'd like to apply. Yeah, put uh, put, put reach out over uh, Twitter, over X, and uh, we'll, we'll, get you, we'll get you in contact. Awesome. Um, you know, I know you've done a lot of the original fundraising, you have a large team. My understanding is it's roughly around 200 people. What does the runway look like in terms of funding? Uh, you know, we've just been through a brutal bear. How are you able to continue building into the future? Yeah, I mean, we had a strong cash position at launch. Um, we've used that cash position. Um, you know, we have various different investments. For, like this is Definity specifically. Um, we don't we don't publish anywhere what our runway is, uh, but 
it's we have a cash position that has allowed us to survive a bear market um, and come out, you know, still with the same, you know, R&D team, uh, you know, no need. Like we haven't we haven't had to like, you know, you're starting to see um, the bear market. You saw uh, near had layoffs. Uh, Polygon had layoffs last year. Um, we haven't even broached that subject. So. OK, awesome. So at least keep, the takeaway should be you're strong. Keep building. Um, yeah. Now we've covered lots of different aspects um, of internet computer. Is there anything that we we haven't talked about that you'd like to highlight? So, I mean, the the, the key message I want to come back to is again this this idea that um, there's a lot of things that we do in crypto that are cool, uh, but that appeal only to the you know half a percent of the world that cares about crypto. Um, what I hope uh, people will start seeing crypto as is actually an extension of the internet from like an, um, innovation standpoint and that we can build applications. So it's, you know, we all talk about decentralization and the need to decentralize, but what we don't talk about is the why, why do you need to decentralize? Um, and I think getting to that or even getting to like, why do you need cheap financial rails? And I always describe it this way, like when Uber formed, right. The, the, the idea of calling a taxi over your cell phone was not a thing. Right. But Uber, you know, they recognize, hey, the Internet has, you know, um, you can share your location precisely. You can process a credit card payment and you can have chat. And if we combine those three things, we can disrupt the taxi industry. And that's kind of where I think we in, within crypto and specifically in the Internet computers, we need to start thinking in that terms. Right. Hey, we have access to privacy. We have access to decentralization. We have access to uh, cheap financial rails. What can we what can those what is the product that actually, you know, what can we build that we weren't able to build before that? Um, and that's, I hope, where where we kind of like end up in that, that this next cycle for crypto is actually focused on products that that actually, you know, change the world or actually like get mass adoption. And people honestly, th that product, people should not know that they're even interacting with the blockchain. Right. That's, you know. The fact that like uh, a polygon, a Matic token is behind the scene probably shouldn't matter at all if you want mass adoption. Like just yeah, all the things we take for granted, seed phrases and wallets and bridges and all of that are just tremendously confusing and not useful for folks. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, well, Carl, thank you for taking you know almost an hour and a half of your time to to share a lot of this with with us. Uh, thank you to everyone who stopped in from the community with your, with your questions and your comments. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, I do think that I'm going to have to take another pass on my uh, tier rating for ICP. So if you're watching this later on, there'll be a video that pops up that will link you to that that new tier rating. Otherwise, uh, please subscribe to my channel and you'll get to see, you know, has Kyle changed my mind at all? Does ICP <laughs> still show up in my lowest tier? Or have, have uh, anything that we've talked about today impacted the way I think about it? Um, Carl, anything you'd like to say before we close? No, just appreciate the conversation. Um, iron sharpens iron. So really, really love having these kind of conversations. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate it. And I'll see you all later.